Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Palm Sunday, Hosanna to the King. Let's start with a quote this morning, and we'll explain. This, this is a story. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 26, that's what we're going to look at this morning, is a story. You say, what's different about that? Well, that contrasts with other writings in the Bible that are strictly teaching, teaching theology, teaching doctrine, teaching principles. Uh, in fact, a lot of the Apostle Paul's books uh, the first half is, is theology and doctrine. The, back, the second half is stories or, or practical teaching. This is a story. And it's an interesting story for a variety of reasons, but it's a story from which we can learn some very important lessons that will help us today. Now let's start with a quote. The quote says, We hear Jesus saying throughout his ministry, That his time or his hour has not yet come. Those of you that have been saved a while and know your Bible, you're very familiar with that. uh, That he would say often, my time has not yet come. In fact, Jesus cautioned his followers not to tell others who he was. Remember that? That's in the Bible. With Palm Sunday, the hour has come. And it is time to tell others that Jesus is the Christ of God. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, contain accounts of what we refer to as Palm Sunday, each, though, with its own unique perspective. This morning, we're looking at one of those accounts, and that's the Apostle John's account, which is found in chapter 12. Palm Sunday occurs, and six days later, okay, you have Sunday, and then on Friday of that same week, Jesus is crucified. So in the space from Sunday to Friday, he goes from being cheered on Sunday to being jeered on Friday. Palm Sunday. It gets its name from the fact that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Okay? He has spent the night in Bethany, which is just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem, On Sunday, he is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, which has been prophesied. That's that's a fulfillment of prophecy that he's even doing that. And it's called Palm Sunday because to honor people, they would wave palm branches in the air. And and they, they would lay them down in front of where the donkey was riding. So the waving of the palm branches, the laying down of the palm branches along the path that Jesus was going to go makes it being referred to as Palm Sunday. But on that Sunday, the Sunday before the Friday crucifixion, that Palm Sunday sets into motion the dominoes that will fall, culminating in the death on Friday and then the resurrection on the following Sunday of Jesus Christ. Prior to that time, Jesus would preach to great throngs and then he would, he would leave. He, he would go away. He, he, would get, he would get away from the crowd. He would go across the lake, or he'd go up into the mountains to pray. 
There would be other times when he would heal someone and there would be this great miracle. And yet he would tell the person that he, that he healed, you know, basically keep it to yourself. And again, the reasoning is his time had not come. Talking about his crucifixion, his death, and his burial. But now, on this Sunday, just prior to Friday, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey to the adoration of what many believe could have been hundreds of thousands of people. Because Jerusalem was overflowing with people who had gathered there to celebrate the Passover. And the Passover, of course, goes back to Egypt when the children of Israel were let go and the angel, if it saw the blood, it would pass over. So they were there to celebrate that. So on that Sunday that we call Palm Sunday, Jesus is experiencing the cheers of the crowd and he's allowing it to happen because his time now has come. And it is setting into motion the dominoes that are going to fall to commemorate the event that's going to be the greatest event in the history of mankind. But six days later, they go from cheering him to jeering him. Six days later, this same crowd is going to be saying, crucify him. Now, think about that for a second. That, that doesn't, when you just first think about it, doesn't seem logical, doesn't seem rational. But that's going to help us today when we get through this story. It's going to help you to understand what's going on today because today isn't very much different. John 12 is John's account of what happened on that Saturday and Sunday before the Friday crucifixion of Jesus. On Saturday, he arrives in Bethany, and he has a meal. And he has a meal with friends who loved him and adored him. That would be Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead. He had raised him from the dead. This family loved him on Saturday night. He's having a meal with them, and there's this adoration there. And on the next day, he makes this triumphal entry into Jerusalem known as Palm Sunday. And it's in this account that we are introduced to a variety of different people. We've mentioned Jesus. We've mentioned the crowd. We've mentioned Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we're going to be introduced to some other people. And it's interesting. In fact, it is fascinating how this man, Jesus, evokes so many different responses from people. From On that same day, that Palm Sunday, on that day, we're going to read about people who loved him and adored him and people who hated him. That's significant to you this morning, particularly those of you that are believers. You you, you need to understand this. You know, I want you to have a a mature view of of your faith and and what it means to live it out practically, and this, this does that. So we're going to see people then how they react so differently to Jesus and how that is not unlike today where people do the same thing. People that you know react totally different. Some people that you know adore him. Some people that you know think it's all foolishness and you're following a fairy tale. There are others, the Joy Beheims of the world and the Bill Myers of the world who hate him and hate the idea. Yeah, it's, it's no different today. But it's important for you and I in this study to come away with some conclusions that will help us to be mature in our faith, to not get tripped up along the way, which is what Satan would like to do. 
So let's play, pay close attention. We're going to read through the story, a little bit more reading than what we would normally do, but I want you to get the complete story, and I want you to pay particular attention as we read the story of how many different people we're introduced to in this story and how varied the reactions are. So we start in John chapter 12, verse number 1. The verses should be on the screen behind me, and it is. Here's the story. Here's Palm Sunday. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, a little town two miles outside of Jerusalem, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. That's already happened. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus. Not only that, and wiped his feet with her hair. I know of people that won't touch another person's feet. And wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. This was, the Bible says, very costly. If you read commentators, most of them agree that it would have taken a year's worth of wages to buy this ointment, this perfume. But she used it for Jesus. And not only that, sat at his feet and took her hair and wiped his feet again. Just, just look, look at her heart and what she's feeling here. But then contrast that to another man that was in the same room. Verse number 4, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. So again, a totally different... I mean, this is all surrounding Jesus. Jesus is the central figure in this story. And we see this woman totally humbling herself in in, in submission and service and admiration. And then you got Judas, and the Bible gives us insight, who's a thief. He's being critical. All these people surrounding Jesus and the company of Jesus. And then you see Jesus himself responding here in verse number 7. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. I imagine they were wondering when he said that, burying. What do you mean burying? But he said it. Because now his time has come. Then he says, for the poor always you have with you, but me ye have not. And then we're introduced to the crowd. Verse number 9. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. Well, somebody raises somebody from the dead. You can imagine that's going to that's gonna spread like wildfire. People are going to hear about that. Then they hear that Jesus is just outside of Jerusalem at Bethany. And not only is Jesus there, but that man that he raised from the dead, he's there too. And they said, we got to see that. I mean, that's, that's something we want to see. And again, because people were there to celebrate the Passover, you know, there were the, the city was... People would say hundreds of thousands above its normal population, and they're intent on seeing this man, Jesus, and seeing this man, Lazarus. So, well, more about them in a minute. Then we're introduced to someone else. As we go to verse number 10, the chief priest. They're another character in this story. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also 
to death. This is, this is the religious leaders. The religious leaders. They know about Jesus. They know about Lazarus. They've, they've been after Jesus all along. Not believing him one whit that he's the Messiah. And questioning everything that he did. And I mean, they are so vicious, they are so vile. At the name of Jesus, they want to crucify Lazarus. They say, we'll, we'll, we'll put him to death. And we'll make sure he stays dead. I imagine that's what they're thinking. Because that by reason of, of, of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. They weren't profiting from, from their false religion. And they were seeing converts moving to Jesus. And they weren't going to have it. It's amazing the wickedness of man's heart. So selfish, so insincere, so vile, that they, the, the answer to the issue is, we'll just kill him. Take a man's life who did no harm to anybody. It's just guilty of being raised from the dead, and they're going to they're kill him. Do you see the range of emotions here, the range of feelings, all surrounding one man, Jesus? Then we have the triumphal entry in verse number 12 described on the next day. This is Sunday now, Palm Sunday as we call it. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, much people, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Here they are. I mean, they're, it's, just, it, it's a mob. In this case, it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a positive mob. They, they want to see Jesus. They're praising his name. Let's not forget about the disciples. They're, they're one of the main groups of characters in this story. Verse number 14, And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written. In other words, it's prophesied that this was going to happen, and it did happen. It was prophesied hundreds of years before. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's coat. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. So the disciples were introduced to them. They're there that Palm Sunday. They're watching all of this. They're witnessing all of this. And I think it's neat how the Bible is so honest. They don't get it. It says they, 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 they don't understand. They, 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 they don't know what's, what's going on here. These things understood not the disciples at first. By the way, we're going to continue this theme this afternoon, and we're going to focus on that right there. The fact that there are sometimes things that we don't understand. Why is this happening? Where is this going? That happens to us. Guess what? If it will make you feel any better, it happened to the disciples as well. And then we look again at the crowd a second time. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they had heard he had done this miracle. Then we're introduced to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. What they're saying there is, we've tried to stop this guy, but it looks as if he's getting more and more popular every day. Everybody's, the whole world seems to be following him. And then we're introduced to some Greeks. This is all on the same day. All this is going on, a lot going on. 
And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew, and Philip tell Jesus. So again, there, there's all sorts of moving parts to this scenario. People plotting, people happy. People. Well, let's finish the story. It finishes with Jesus here. <clears throat> And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come. See, before he was saying, My time has not come. The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there, also, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve him, serve me, him will my father honor. Now I want us to go back. I introduce you to multiple individuals and characters in this story of Saturday night and then Palm Sunday. And I want us now to focus specifically on their reactions. And why are we going to focus on their reactions? Because you as Christians today have to understand that Jesus still evokes among the population, among your friends and families, various and distinct reactions. And if you don't understand that, you, you might get discouraged. You might be defeated. Because those of us that are believers, we find it somewhat odd. How can you not love Jesus? I mean, he did no wrong. He loved people. He, he healed people. He, he preached the truth. How could you possibly not believe, much less hate him? And yet, today, people are no different than they were 2,000 years ago when this happened. So let's review this story one more time, and this time paying specific attention to the various ways people reacted and understanding that you might see that this week if you haven't seen it already. So we're going to learn important truths from the characters in the story. Of course, it starts with Jesus, and we see Jesus as God as man and Savior of the world. And if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. He's there to love people. He's there to redeem people from their sins. He's there to help people, to encourage people, to be a blessing to people. Let's kind of start, and it's almost kind of reverse order, starting at the bottom of the story and working our way back to the top. In the story, we saw the Greeks. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. I describe the Greeks as people that have come from out of town to this festival, to the Passover, and you would describe them as curious and cautious. They're, they're curious, but they're cautious. And as you live your life out today, you're going to run into people just like that. Some people are just going to be simply curious and cautious. But then you may meet people like, number two, the chief priests and the Pharisees. 
But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. And then in verse number 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Their take on Jesus is both hostile and scheming. They're not curious. These folks are hostile. And they are scheming. They would like to do Jesus in. And folks... Sadly, today, there are more and more people that are actually becoming hostile to Christianity and seeing Christians in the church as the problem with society today and are scheming in any way they can, like the ACLU or whatever, to eliminate Christianity from our culture. You see, we really haven't changed a whole lot in 2,000 years. There are people today that are curious and cautious. There are people today that are hostile and scheming. And then you have the crowd. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might see Lazarus also. Verse number 12, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to town, you know, they're waving these branches, but at the end of the week, they're not going to be waving branches. They're going to say, crucify him. They're emotional and fickle. They're emotional and fickle. And I think that's a real problem today. A lot of people are just emotional. If, 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 if they go to a service and, you know, the music is planned just right and whatever, they can, it can whip you into an emotional frenzy. But then the next week, you know, you're in a bar room or whatever. And just like people were emotional and fickle back then as the crowd was, it's really no different today. And it's important for us to understand that. It's important for us to, to, to think about that. Because if you're not careful, you might think, number one, I'm wrong. Maybe they're all right. So it's important to have a, the right perspective. And the only right perspective to have when, when Jesus is introduced into the equation and he causes all these various reactions is, is faith and trust in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> also in the story, we were introduced to the disciples who were faithful and growing. And we won't read the passage there, but, you know, they didn't understand, but they said later they would. So these are men that are believers. They're faithful and growing. And then you have, number five, Judas, who was be described as hypocritical and selfish. Well, you should have saved that for the poor. No, he wanted that in his bag so he could put his hand into the bag and take it for himself. But they're in the pretext of Jesus. Again, What is central to everything here is Jesus. And what is evoking all these various responses is Jesus. And then, lastly, we have Mary and Martha, who I describe as truly sincere and devoted. And again, we don't need to read the passage. We already have. I mean, their sincerity, their devotion is is, is not doubted. I mean, they were serving, they were, they were giving, giving the ointment. They, they are genuine and they are real. And thankfully, there are people like that in the world today who are genuine, who are real, and who can look past all the other responses and just have a constant love, admiration, and joy in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so quickly... Let's look at some insights into Jesus and his effect on people. Because Jesus then and today is a catalyst. And not everybody is going to respond like you and I do to the name of Jesus. Several quotes from John MacArthur. I'll just read them quickly. We need to get move along. 
He says, it doesn't need to be said because it's been said plenty that Jesus Christ divides everything. He even divides the calendar of history. Everything before him is B.C., everything after him is A.D. He divides humanity. All people are either for him or against him. He divides destiny. He divides families. He divides marriages. He divides friendships. He divides association. Now, to understand that is to have a mature view of Scripture, which is what I want you to get when you come here, a mature understanding of Scripture. He also said this, and I quote, There's no one else like him who evokes the antithetical extremes of love and hate, devotion and rejection, worship and blasphemy, faith and unbelief. He divides believers from unbelievers, sheep from goats, wheat from tares, children of God from children of the devil. And then one other quote. But you ask the question, how can this person, Jesus, from the standpoint of those of us who believe, how can this person be so violently rejected with some extreme animosity as displayed in the religious leaders who hate him and want him dead and Judas? How can that be? How can this one man's life and teaching and testimony, how can this produce a Mary and a Judas play side by side? Deep mystery, but Christianity still does that. The gospel still does that even to this day. All of the characters that you see are still around. This becomes very instructive, not only historically, but for us. It was quite a day, that Palm Sunday, about 2,000 years ago. And we see so many varied reactions to Jesus Christ. To understand who Jesus is. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I can get discouraged. And one of the discouragements is you want to make everybody happy. You want to please everybody. You want want everybody to think that Pastor McMorris, his bracket must be perfect. You know, he he picked a thousand percent. I think I'd be a millionaire. I think you can win some money if you do that. Oh, but you realize, and one of my good pastor friends told me, he said, not even Jesus could make everybody happy. That's a good statement. Not even Jesus could make everybody happy. The three most important points I don't have time to make, so I'm going to reserve them for this afternoon. I had intended to do something else, but I want you to hear the points. And if you don't come back this afternoon, I'm not chastening you, but you're going you're to miss the essence of where we're going with all this. But do know this. Don't, let, let's leave it with this. Don't get discouraged. It's hard for us believers to understand how anybody could not love Jesus, adore him, sacrifice for him, serve him. But the Bible is brutally honest. It doesn't hold back anything. On that day, there were people that were curious. There were people that were devoted. There were people that were confused. And there were people that hated him. And in the course of your living out your life this next week, you may come across all those groups yourself. And if you think that everybody's just going to love Jesus like you do and like Mary and Martha and Lazarus did... If you think that everybody's going to think that way and you run across people that don't, then that can really be a a bump in the road for you. But because you were in church on Sunday morning, you realize, you know, 
it's not odd that I believe and they don't. It's not, it's not odd that I want to serve and they want to criticize. That's just the way it is. And the Bible tells us that. And that strengthens me. That sustains me. I'm not going to be tripped up by unsaved family members or friends or co-workers. This is all a part of what Jesus does. He is a divider. It's not popular in our culture today, but it's absolutely true. And to the degree you understand that is to the degree that you will finish strong in your faith and you will be a shining light for Christ in this world for those that are curious or those that are confused or those that have animosity, whatever it might be. You can be a shining light. And I want this message to help you be a shining light. And we'll finish it this evening or this afternoon. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mile Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.